Welcome to this new Paltz life. I'm Sandy Cellelli. In this episode, we learn about Frank Tepidino, a retired New York City fireman. Frank has spent a lot of his life in the five boroughs, but not always with the fire patrol. His granddaughter, Sarah Barsati, brings us the story of how Frank's love of baseball was a big part of his identity. Ever since I was like about 10, 12 years old, I was always playing with older uh, guys. I wasn't in organized baseball, mm-hmm. but I was always playing in a sport where, you know, there were older guys. So it just, uh, I had more of an ability at that time to play at a higher level. My grandfather, Frank Tepidino, was born in 1947 and grew up in Brooklyn with his parents and three siblings. With all of his extended family within just a few blocks of each other, the familial love of baseball was easy to enjoy together. My dad took myself, my brother, and my cousin. We would go to the Mets. No, we would go to the Yankees. We would go to Ebbets Field to see the Dodgers. And we went to a couple of games at the Polo Grounds to see the Giants. Wow. Because growing up, I, I, we lived only four blocks from Ebbets Field. Was it far-fetched for you to think to yourself, oh, I'll be playing there one day? It's far-fetched to say I'll be playing there one day, but as a daydreamer, which most young kids are, especially growing up in uh, the five boroughs, because there were three major league baseball teams there, and you can, and you had, you were spoiled because from... I would say 1950 through 1964, so say 14, 15 years, either the Yankees, Dodgers were in 12 of the 14 World Series. So you, you constantly hurried baseball, and then baseball was played during the day, the World Series and it was played mostly during the week. And even though we had school, everybody had a transistor radio, which mm-hmm. was in the 50s. You bring it to school, or they had it on the loudspeaker in your uh, study class, or you had a, a portable radio. And then when you were done with school, all you had to do was go outside, and somebody had a window open that they were playing the game on. So wherever you went in the five boroughs during the World Series time, you could hear the baseball game. It was clear to Frank that he knew he was going to be signed one day. It was just a matter of when. And that day came one morning while he was sitting in class. It was announced over the loudspeaker that Frankie Tepidino was signed to the Baltimore Orioles. When I got drafted, uh, my two cousins signed with the Mets. I had, I was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles. Wow. And later on that day, they were, they signed with the Mets. Four uncles and three cousins that played professional baseball. That's they had crazy. signed in the 50s with the, in those days was the Washington Senators, uh, Cleveland Indians, Chicago White Sox. I would say it was more in tune, you know, where you get families, you know, uh, guys are firemen, guys are cops, guys are sanitation workers. Mm -hmm. This family just happened to be professional baseball players. You know, who knew? 
Frank was only a high school student when he was drafted and had yet to leave home before signing to the Orioles. I was the youngest ball player in the Baltimore Oriole organization. Wow. Yeah, so, because I was drafted at 17 years old. Then when I went away to play, and I played, I had a good rookie season. I hit 337, and then they asked me to go to Instructional League. And when I went to the Instructional League in Florida, I was one of the youngest ball players there. There was about, I'd say about 10 of us that were, you know, 17, maybe going on 18 at that particular time. Being signed in 1964, it was clearly a different type of world than it is now. When Frank left for the Instructional League in Florida, that was the first time he was ever on an airplane. Going down south in the mid-1960s was not only an exciting time, but it was also a very segregated time. In 65, we were in Harlan, Kentucky, and the curfew was at 9 o'clock. So you would play a day game, and then when you were done with the day game, you would get something to eat. And this one particular time, we had, a, we had enough time. We had like two hours to go see a movie. And, you know, in those days, it was always double feature. It wasn't like it is today. But the movie started at about 7.30. And we watched one film, and that was over at about a quarter after eight. And then the next one started, and we were like halfway through. It was like a quarter to nine. And the lights came on in the movie theater, and on a speaker in the movie theater, the gentleman says, okay, all you boys have to get up and get out of the movie theater. Curfew's in 15 minutes. Yeah. And we had to go back to the hotel. And the cops followed us back to the hotel. Even though we were all baseball players, they followed us back to the hotel. And then they says, okay, got five minutes left. You better hurry up. Because we had to walk. We didn't have any, any sort of transportation. And what it was is that Growing up, I grew up in the projects in uh, Brooklyn, so you know it was African American, Spanish, and us. So we, you know, it was just a a mishmash of nationalities, color, you know, religions, and what have you. So never ever paid much attention to it. It was just that's the way it was. Yeah. But when you do leave the New York area, it's completely different. Like the African-American ball players and the Spanish ball players could not stay with us in a hotel. Really? They had to go live with an African-American family or they had to go live with a Spanish family on the outskirts of towns. And that is so crazy. being from New York, you know, to me it was like, are you kidding? Everybody's uh, the same. Nobody's different. Yeah. But the South uh, was still saying that they will rise again. They were still fighting a war. Yeah. We had went out with uh, Roy White and his family, and we were in spring training in Fort Lauderdale, which is Florida, and uh, went to a restaurant, and what happened was I went, and I says, uh, have a party of, at that time was five, six, seven, have a party of nine. So he says, okay. And with that, we went in, 
and behind was Roy White, who's African-American, his wife and his two kids. And the gentleman that was getting ready to seat us saw that and wound up taking us to the back of the restaurant through a door into another area. You know, I knew it right away, and then I had to get the gentleman on the side and say a few things to her, to him. And then uh, says, okay, let's go. We have another place that we'll go and eat. He says, but I will let the organization know, the Yankees, of the way you treated us, the way you treated the ballplayers, and hopefully none of us will frequent your establishment. Not that it was going to put them out of business. It was just to let them know that it wasn't appreciated. Whether it was being down south in the height of civil rights or being present for some of baseball's most important history, Frank saw it all. He was on the bench when Mickey Mantle hit his 500th home run, and he played in the game when Hank Aaron hit his record-breaking 715th home run to surpass Babe Ruth. Right. I played for the Yankees. I played for the Braves. I played for the Milwaukee Brewers. I signed with the Baltimore Orioles. I finished up with the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's, it's so far back, but it's not forgotten. And that's the fun about it, you know. And it's just we we were never a family that patted ourselves on the back. And the same stands true with my children. Mm -hmm. Same stands true with my grandchildren. We just go about life. And when things do come up, oh, yeah, by the way. Ah. Or somebody else will say something. Mm-hmm. That's the way we we are, and that's the way we react to it. So yeah. it's good. Speaking as one of Frank's grandchildren, it truly is amazing to see all the things he's accomplished in his life. In 2002, I was lucky enough to see him play at the original Yankee Stadium one last time. At Old Timers Day, it was a time for our whole family to go and see him play with his friends that he had played alongside over 30 years ago. And the Old Timers game was special because... I was able to bring my, all my kids and my grandkids at that time. You know, because naturally, when you're playing, you're in your 20s, and if you're fortunate enough to play into your 30s, you're married and you have kids, and your kids are young. And usually when you retire, you know, not many guys play beyond age 35. So your kids are usually still pretty young, mm-hmm. and you've had kids when, you know, not at a young age. So they don't remember a lot. Naturally, you didn't have grandkids. Mm-hmm. They weren't around. So when you do get an opportunity to go back and relive some of your baseball experience with your teammates and guys you played against, it really, really is special. And then your kids and your grandkids have that bond that they can look back and say, remember when? And it just puts smiles on everybody's face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very, very good. 